Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today we are discussing Halloween Resurrection. (laughs) Directed by Rick Rosenthal. Yes, the Rick Rosenthal, director of Halloween 2. He is back nearly 21 years later. That's kind of nuts. Why would he come back? I wonder. I I never found out really why this was something he wanted to come back for. Maybe he enjoyed doing the second one. He wanted to come back for Halloween 8. Who knows? But anyways, this movie came out July 1st, 2002. This is the first Halloween movie of the new century. Yeah, I mean, see, the last one came out when? 90... 98, I believe. 98? Okay, yeah. And we all kind of thought that that was the end of it. And then come to find out, no, they have one more up their sleeve, I suppose. So, yeah, 2002. Interesting that this one's called Halloween Resurrection, but the last one was called Halloween H2O. You would think that they would wait until the 2000s to release that, but they didn't for some reason. Who knows? The... This one is written by Larry Brand, who I found to have done nothing of note. Sean Hood also wrote it. He wrote The Crow, Wicked Prayer, Conan, the remake, and The Legend of Hercules, which I believe you've seen. I have. I think I've seen The Legend of Hercules. I believe I have seen that one. It's either that one or... Wait. Is that the, is that the Asylum movie? I don't know if it's the Asylum movie. I know I've definitely heard of it. The Well, regardless, they have not done anything very prominent. You could say uh, the Conan remake maybe being the most prominent. I don't know where they get these writers from. It seems like they've kind of been on this kick where they just pick these no-name writers who just seem to be like, hey, here's an idea. And they're like, sure. Right. Okay. I remember now. I remember Legend of Hercules. It's called Coming Back to Me Now. Oh. Yeah, that movie was terrible. Happy memories, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why I don't remember much about it. I remember pieces. It's not good. Well, this movie stars Jamie Lee Curtis. She is back reprising her role as Laurie Strode for the fourth time. Mm-hmm. It also stars Brad Laurie, Busta Rhymes, Busta. the rapper that nobody's heard of anymore. Great. <laughs> Bianca Kajalik, Sean Patrick Thomas... Not to be confused with Neil Patrick Harris. Right. Two two different people. (laughs) Daisy McCracken. McCracken. Katie Sackhoff, arguably the most famous. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has gone on to done. To done. To done. She has gone on to do a number of things. She was, the most recent one I can think of is she was in uh, Riddick with Vin Diesel. She was in that Longmire TV show. Uh, A few other things. Uh, this also stars Luke Kirby, Thomas Ian Nicholas, Ryan Merriman, and Tyra Banks. Wow. Well, Tyra Banks might be more famous, actually. Right. I know I've definitely heard of that name, other than Jamie Lee Curtis. But McCracken, that's an awesome last name. It is. I want that last name. <laughs> Unleash the McCracken. <laughs> uh, currently, this movie holds a 4.1 on oh, IMDb. Yes. The lowest rated Halloween movie. Oh, yes. Yet, anyway. I remember last time, the last Halloween movie we were talking about, you had mentioned this one. You said you're going to, and you kind of said that it was quite the movie 
to say the least, when you had watched it one the last time. And I had yet to see it at this point. And the more I heard about it, the more I'm just like, this just seems like my kind of pie. <laughs> so the budget for this movie, 13 million. This seems about right. The budget for H2O was uh, higher than the budget for Resurrection. That's usually not the case. Right. Uh, the budget... Uh, thirteen million is four million dollars less than H two O, but it is more than Halloween four, five, or six ever got. Gotcha. Domestically, at the box office, it grossed thirty point three million. Well, I don't know if that's considered a flop. Technically, it doubled its budget. It did double its budget, but and made a profit after that. Right, but that isn't really that great of numbers. Just anyways. No, but that should be expected because right. the previous Halloween movies have. Never been good, except H2O did better than 4, 5, and 6. But 4, 5, and 6 had a $5 million budget and grossed like $15 million at the right. box office. Yes, it did triple its budget. but So, okay, in the foreign markets, $7.3 million. So, worldwide total resurrection grossed $37.6 million. It's not too bad. It didn't do very well in the foreign markets, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I should note that H2O grossed domestically 55 million so this one made 25 million dollars less and it's a sequel to a fairly well-received halloween film it has been three years people probably lost steam by this point and if people saw the trailer like we did which we'll talk about in just a second Mm -hmm. that might have kind of not got people uh turned on to wanting to see this movie right uh, opening weekend, it did come in at number four. That's well, <laughs> no, that's really not good. <laughs> so it did have twelve million dollars. It nearly made its budget back opening weekend, but it was beat by Men in Black, uh, Road to Perdition, and Reign of Fire. Well, I mean, <laughs> so we've got Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, Tom Hanks, Robert Redford. Uh, Gerard Butler and Christian Bale. Right. In all of those movies combined against uh, this against, movie. Yeah, against the, what is this, like, um, see, this would be the seventh? No, eighth. Eighth. Eighth Halloween movie. Yep. Um, <laughs> we got Buster Rhymes to compete with right. those guys. With possibly the biggest name at this point in time being Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Uh, no wonder it came in at number four. Oh, Yes. Well, without inflation, it's the fifth highest grossing, so it's right in the middle after inflation. And after inflation, it's still five, so it's right. kind of weird how that worked. Interesting. So, I don't know how you take that. It's either in the top five grossing or uh, it's not. It's in the bottom five or middle five. I don't know. It's just middle of the road, which is kind of odd considering this movie has a 4.1 on IMDb. Right. But those people didn't know what they're watching right before they saw the movie well we did watch the trailer we wanted to see if the trailer got us excited for the eighth installment especially after h2o which we were we enjoyed Mm -hmm. uh go listen to our review so i gotta say this trailer doesn't even feel like halloween no no it does not (laughs) uh and it i gotta say it also makes it look like michael and Lori have a showdown at the end Mm -hmm. like for her to save the day we won't give that away but that's not the case it's reversed yeah at least this part is played backwards which from a marketing standpoint i understand but from a 
filmmaking standpoint, it's kind of like a bait and switch. Yes. It it kind of leaves you with oh, <laughs> when especially when you watch the movie, it's uh quite misleading, I would say, at least in that respect. Everything else about it is pretty much fine. Um, the weird voiceover is there, but it's pretty much it's mid two thousands. So I mean, what do you expect? But yeah, kind of a bait and switch. Not exactly word for word how it goes in the movie. I don't remember seeing this trailer on TV. I was six years old. I don't have much recollection of the trailers I saw. So, but if I would have been, I guess, cognizant enough to discern what I was seeing, and I was even a little older than that, I would have thought this movie looks absolutely stupid. It doesn't look scary. It doesn't look frightening. It looks remotely nothing like Halloween. Yeah, it's, and we'll, we'll get into that because that needs to be talked about a little bit later. But yeah, this feels weird because what movie was it? There, I think it was six when we talked about the trailer for that. And we were pretty impressed because it did a really good job at like building the tension and making it feel like it was a Halloween movie. This one, not exactly. Well, it is weird because... There's about halfway through the trailer, the Halloween music starts playing, mm. just so you know it's Halloween, because you could have mistaken this movie for anything else, for any other run-of-the-mill oh, yeah. slasher movie. Oh, yeah. I gotta say, it would not get me in the theater. I would not buy a ticket. Right. I would be in there with you. So, my biggest question coming into this movie is, why is Jamie Lee Curtis coming back for this? What more does she have to do and the funny thing is she's coming back this october once again uh nearly how my oh my goodness 16 years later after this one yeah i yeah yeah it would be so i don't know what you found concerning why she came back because i really want to know yeah i it's just interesting to me because of the new one that's coming out this is basically the uh, what is this? The third time we've uh, rebooted the series after the first one. Yes, that is something we should note. Is so we did have the first one, and then they kind of rebooted it with four continuing the story, and then after uh, six did terrible, they rebooted it with seven, and now you could on it's this is a very much a pseudo sequel, I would mm-hmm. say, to H two O. And yeah. it is uh, definitely a reboot for the 2000s, for the uh, new computer Y2K age. Right. And this is the final time until we get a 100% uh, reboot slash remake with the next movie, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween. Right. So, yeah, this, I, I guess we'll save our thoughts for the, the, for the rest of the series until that happens. But it's just interesting that this series has been rebooted so many times. But, okay, going back to that question of Jimmy Lee Curtis, yeah, they kind of, this is, well, I'm actually going to save that thought for later. <laughs> but, yeah, that is a good question to ask. Why is Jamie Lee Curtis back, and why is this movie back? Why is this franchise back, I guess, is another question to add on to that. So, as far as I could understand, well, I know this. they're, they're going to, of course, do another movie. We won't spoil the end of H2O for you. We're not into spoiler section just yet, but you can go ahead and listen to that in the archives. But they're never. I feel like they're never going to stop making Halloween movies, just right. like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and fill in the blank, any right. other movie. They're just going to keep making them because they're cheap and they make money. 
for why uh, Jamie Lee Curtis came back, we know she came back for H2O because she felt like it was a worthy script for her to return for a sequel and to close out the series. But I'm wondering, she might have been uh, contractually obligated to have some kind of appearance in Resurrection. And we, I do know for certain that she wanted uh, this to be her final role in a Halloween movie as long as this was the storyline they were going with. Right. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, I know that she definitely wasn't happy with the direction that Halloween was going at this point. And yeah, so I can definitely see that. We'll get into how that all works later, but yeah. Originally, this movie was going to be titled Halloween the Homecoming. Right, yeah, that was the working title. In the head. And I think that there was a work print version that had that title still on it. Oh, wow. That was released, yeah. I also heard reportedly Danielle Harris was offered a role. She mm. played Jamie Lloyd, Lori's daughter, in 4 and 5. And she will reprise, no, I'm sorry, she won't reprise her role, but she will come back to the series in a new role for the next movie. Oh, Halloween okay. movie will be reviewing. Uh, also, something funny I should note is Bianca Kajilic's screams were overdubbed. I did hear about that. They, I heard that she couldn't scream or something like that, and that's why they had to redub them. They were so weird during the movie, like her screams. They were over the top and sounded ridiculous, yeah. and I was like, okay, now I know why. Also, Rick Rosenthal, the director, kind of wanted to do something experimental, uh, who knows why, with this movie. Right. With Resurrection. He wanted to shoot four different endings for the movie and ship different prints of the film Hmm. to different theaters so the audience in different theaters would have a different experience. They would have uh, an end of the movie that was completely different than their friends in other cities or states would see. I think that's an interesting idea, but really, what's the point? I mean, I would hope maybe marketing so they could get more people to go see right. it multiple times. Right. I can I can see where that would help out some of the theaters. Like, say, there's like a small theater. Cause, okay, my grandparents' hometown, they have one theater, and it's a two-screen theater, and it's gone out of business like four times, but someone keeps buying oh. it out. I can see why that in that kind of aspect you could go to a different theater like and that would get more money that way. And with a movie that just released recently that I talked about with Curtis and Jacob, uh, this movie called Unfriended Dark Web, that one has two endings that are randomized depending on what showing you go to. So I can see where this has come or this has not been so much of an original thing. But yes, what exactly is the point uh, of these alternate endings? I don't even know. I it's at this point I just wonder how much I really care because my ratings for Halloween just in general uh, kind of have gone to shown that I really am not too enthralled with after basically after two where it is all where it's all gone even H two O which I which we did find to be better than the last three but not even up to snuff even close to the first one so yeah what even is the point of having random endings except for the fact that oh. Well, if I go to a different theater, I may get a different ending. Well, I'm ready to get into the plot if you are. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, listeners, we are about to get into spoilers for Halloween Resurrection. If you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it to be spoiled for you, then click pause right now. 
go ahead and watch the movie and come back and hit play and we'll be ready to talk about it. It's been three years since Laurie Strode, once again reprised by Jamie Lee Curtis, decapitated her brother Michael Myers, who is this time played by Brad Laurie, and finished him for good. Yet she now resides in Grace Anderson Sanitarium, because it turns out the man she killed was not Michael, but a medic that Michael switched outfits with. Although the incident appears to have mentally incapacitated her, she has been faking it and has been devising a way to kill Michael once and for all when he comes looking for her. When he does find her, she traps him on the roof, but before she cuts the rope causing him to fall to his death, she wants to ensure it's really him. Because apparently she knows what he looks like. Right. While trying to pull off his mask, Michael grabs her. They strangely swing around and she gets stabbed in the back kisses him, exclaims, I'll see you in hell, before falling to her death as credits roll. Good movie. <laughs> Just kidding. The movie is unfortunately not over. The real plot yeah, the real plot begins now that we got the H2O DLC over with. Dangertainment, an online reality internet show created by Freddie Harris played by Buster Rhymes, and Nora, played by Tyra Banks, has chosen six college students hooked up with cameras to spend an unspecified amount of time in Michael Myers' house to unlock clues as to why he murdered his sister at age six. Uh, also, they are getting scholarships, supposedly. Yeah, an odd thing to get a scholarship for. The kids are Sarah Moyer, played by Bianca Kajilic, Rudy, played by Son Sean Patrick Harris, Jen, played by Katie Sackhoff, Donna, played by Daisy McCacken, Jim, played by Luke Kirby, and Bill, played by Thomas Ian Nicholas. As they search, flirt, scare, and fool around with each other, they begin to find twisted clues of Michael's childhood, but later find out it's all been set up by Freddie and Nora. But the real Michael Myers has come home, since apparently he's been living in the basement for 20 years to find intruders in his house. One by one, all on live webcam, he begins to pick off the unsuspecting youth. Meanwhile, Sarah's online IM buddy, Miles Barton, played by Ryan Merriman, who goes by the screen name Deckard, is a freshman in high school, and he's been invited with his friend Scott to the coolest Halloween party only older kids get to go to. Miles doesn't want to go, but Scott convinces him. At the party, Deckard, along with his peers, watches the events unfold. They believe all the murders to be cool digital effects and not really happening until they ultimately realize it's an actual reality show. Oh my word. Through the power of I Am, Deckard helps Sarah escape Michael's clutches until Freddy saves the day with his kung fu moves as Michael is burned alive in the garage. When reporters swarm the two survivors, Freddy breaks their camera so him and Sarah can get out of there. Later, Michael's body is brought to the coroner's office for an autopsy. The coroner opens the body bag to find Michael's eyes burst open as credits roll. Hmm. Well, um... Best best picture of the year? Yes. Uh, Schindler's best List? <laughs> 10 out of 10. Oh, Schindler's List is like the birdemic <laughs> compared to this movie. <laughs> Mm. But, okay, for real, though, so is this just what Michael does when Laurie is dead? He just goes home? 
Guess so. I guess uh, I'm. I'm a little surprised he doesn't try and hunt down her son. Right. It's. It's just an odd thing to go from H two O, and then come into this plot. And what's even more odd is the first ten minutes of this movie between Michael and Laurel is very much a DLC or downloadable content, mm-hmm. which. It's kind of funny because we said Rick Rosenthal did that with Halloween 2, where we felt like Halloween 2 was just kind of the expansion pack to Halloween 1. Right. wasn't completely necessary, doesn't really stand alone very well, but if you want to continue more of it, you can. And I guess if you want to have kind of an alternate ending to H2O, this is here for you before you jump into the real plot of the movie. If we thought Jurassic World was bad with its like two different plots, this is more bizarre with how it's handled. Yeah, they basically take they basically take Halloween 2 and shrink it down to about a 15-minute segment with a different ending at, with the, uh, the beginning of this movie. It, you can almost... Actually, you can. You can cut that out and entirely and watch the movie from when the three college kids are introduced and go on from there. You would learn basically nothing. You wouldn't lose... I would say anything from the story. Nothing's connected, and I guess it's supposed to give us closure because I guess they think the audience were like, oh, it's not going to make any sense. Uh, How is Michael back all of a sudden? So they kind of wrote themselves into a corner and they needed to put this in there, I guess. I don't agree with how they did it or the whole entirety of it anyways, but it's just a really odd choice. But it should be noted they didn't just come up with this idea a few years after H2O. This was an idea floating around during the time of H2O, and I believe it was Kevin Williamson who wrote the original screenplay and then eventually just got story credit for H2O. This was his idea for them to kind of launch into another Halloween sequel is it would all be a trick. Michael would have switched outfits uh, I hate that. That's so stupid because literally the only thing the man under the mask could have done to show Lori that, hey, I'm not Michael Myers is to just take off the mask. Yeah. So it <laughs> bringing that up just kind of negates everything, everything that happens after that. It, it, it of course, is a retcon, but it's just kind of it's just so silly. Well, it is, and it's what's even more silly is I understand it's been three years. That's not unusual for a sequel, but it is a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. I very many people probably were starting to use more VHSs, I assume. But we get this horrible recap in the beginning of this movie from yeah. the nurses, where it's so exposition heavy. It's like so heavy handed, where one nurse is saying, "Oh my gosh, what happened?" and then. We get flashbacks, we get to see events unfold that kind of fill in the gaps of what we missed in the previous one. And it seems like they think they're being so clever because they're like, why didn't he just say something that he's not Michael? And they're like, oh, he crushed his larynx. But we didn't see Michael like super glue the mask on his head or anything because it was easily ripped off when the, the, the police officer kind of grossly pulls the mask off of a decapitated head. Right. Eh... It's really grasping at straws here. It's yeah. just really dumb. Yeah. The, now, these nurses are hilarious because 
they just start talking and there's really no reason for them to start talking, but they do. And then they just, they basically went to the school of exposition um, <laughs> and they just, they are literally only here just to fill in the gaps, which even then is odd because, I mean, for us, of course, it was, it's really odd to see this because we literally just watched this movie like a month ago. And so this is pretty fresh in our minds, but even then it's kind of thrown together and it's just there just to serve. I I would even say to pad out the runtime when they really could have just condensed it into a couple of sentences. They took it for like a two and a half minute dialogue between the two. These nurses, now the acting is not great from them or really from many people in this movie. But this is one of the scenes where I was laughing and I was like, okay, this is actually pretty fun because it is just that bad. Well, also, what did you think of these long, boring opening credits? Oh, my word. With they never end. Graphics. Yeah. They never end. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's so, they, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were made in Microsoft Word. I wouldn't be either. Because I was looking at these and I was just like, I, I did that kind of a thing when I was in like fifth grade. Yeah. Um, and they never, they, then they keep going after like the video starts playing in the background, there are still credits being shown while action is happening on screen versus being on a black, being on a black background. They never end. Uh, also, it's just so sad because I thought the opening credits of H2O were awesome with mm -hmm. that orchestral music, kind of this montage of we get the Sam Loomis talking over it. And then we get these just crappy credits I with know. horrible graphics. And I'm like, man, you can just tell already we just took a sharp drop off of quality control right. here. And this honestly probably would have been better served direct to DVD. There's no such yeah. thing as DVD, but... I at don't least, think so, anyway. At least directed video, right. directed VHS. They should have done this. I can see this being one of those. And if you didn't know better, you probably, I probably would have assumed that it was directed video. Oh, sure. Um, but coming to find out, it's actually not, unfortunately. Well, we get a lot of this opening hospital or insane asylum, whatever. It's very familiar with what Rosenthal did with Halloween 2. Right. So I can kind of see why they brought him back, but that's really not the movie. So I guess it doesn't matter anyway. Right. Well, I would even say that this is a movie. They just condense it to 15 minutes. Yeah, it's a short movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, it's really weird how uh, Michael takes out the security guards. I just had to mention this. How did Michael have time to decapitate the security guard, throw his head in the washing machine as a distraction, and then jump into the rafters? There are a lot of things in this opening. Actually, a lot of things in this movie where I ask those exact same questions where I'm just like, okay, when did Michael, or insert name here, have enough time to do this? And we'll get to a couple of those moments. But yes, you're absolutely right. When on earth did he have time to do all of that? Because it feels like, now, I guess it doesn't feel like, the reason why they did this is just to get a scare. Like, oh, that's gruesome. You know, it's definitely for shock value. Mm-hmm. But when you really sit down and think about it, it's like, that actually doesn't make any sense at all that they did that. Because that would take an insane amount of time to set up that he just kind of, once they're thinking about things, it just kind of flats, it just kind of flatlines. One of the other things I hate that this movie does is all of these scary jump noises constantly with, and it's it's really overused. And I guess that was popular around the time, but it's horrible. Yeah. Now, what movie was it that we, that also had... These crazy no, it, it might have been six. Yeah, it was six. Yeah, the they took alternate. them out in the producers. Contract. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's why I, I sort of have flashbacks of that movie. These random things. It's not as bad as six in that regard, but they are there. 
And it is, yeah, there it's not scary in the slightest when they're absolutely trying to be. I will say so far, Michael is more well shot in this one than the last one, I think. And I like his mask a smidge better. And they actually brought back his breathing, which we haven't even heard since, like, the first one. That's true. Maybe That's the true. Second. I will say I'm not a big fan of the mask. I think the one in H2O looked a lot closer to the original. I think this one I'm thinking of. Maybe it was six. Anyways, it looks kind of plain again for some reason. That isn't exactly very scary to me. So, boo on that. But uh, I do appreciate that they brought back the breathing. That is a nice touch that they brought back that they should have in the first place. I do find the whole scene here that kind of, well, almost caps off this opening. With Lori dying, I understand her kind of fear of accidentally killing the wrong person again. But I did find it was funny. Uh, one re- one person, a reviewer named Holly Horror on the site Letterboxd wrote, Lori has Michael momentarily debilitated and with the perfect opportunity to cut off his cut his head off dot 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 one more time she leans in slowly reaches for his mask her voice is weak I just have to be sure sure of what Michael burst through your freaking door like the Kool-Aid man yielding a knife and chased you to where you stand right now I just thought that was hilarious I had to share that, that. That is very, very funny. That that does bring up a good point that Michael just kind of burst down the door with his head. Um, interesting. <laughs> it's interesting just, choice. There's so much in this opening that is so wrong. And I don't understand how they get tangled up and they do this like flying through the air motion and magically she gets stabbed. I, I don't. I don't know. I just want to know. Okay. I want to know exactly what happened and what Michael is being tied up on because it's just like there's some remote that pulls the rope that was underneath Michael's foot just happened to be there. And she's been setting it up. Oh my word. Because they said they found her on the roof multiple times, assuming they were suicide attempts, but she has been planning this. Uh, Okay. I'll accept that. (laughs) I do got to say the falling scene is pretty great though. I I thought that was kind of poignant Her falling. Uh, It is CGI. Oh, well, Um, because there's an alternate uh, cut that I saw where she falls onto the pavement of the front of the hospital. Oh, okay. Uh, trees look pretty good, though. I thought it did look very yeah. very well done. And, and, like, this should be a moment that has been building to for a while and should have been had, should have had some kind of emotional impact. But this is, what, the second time that Lori Strode has died in this series? Because she died in four, right? Yes. She... We didn't visibly see it, but yeah. they mentioned that she had died well, before. And we also learned that she also faked her death in the beginning of H2O. So right. those aren't really tied together, but they're recycling ideas. So technically, this would be the third time. <laughs> if, it depends on which canon you're including. Gotcha. Either way, this should be a moment comparatively to the rest of the series where it's quite emotional because the main character, the last strand of goodness essentially to face Michael is gone now. It's literally, we meet Lori in the the sanitarium and then 15 minutes later she's dead. There's really little buildup to her death and that emotional impact. There's like nothing there for me. 
At this point, it feels ridiculous, though, that we've had... It feels so detached from John Carpenter's original. Oh, Where yeah. it was just this random stranger. They had no connection at all. There right. was never a connection established, and Carpenter didn't really want one established to keep that mystery. But it's just so ridiculous at this point. They've had so many run-ins. Oh, yeah. And so many times she supposedly died. And at this point, it's just like, this is just silly how connected they are. Yeah. How many times they keep dealing with this together. Uh, I do need to also mention that there was another alternate opening. Okay. It was of old family footage of the Myers. And it ends with Michael standing against the shed with his back to the camera and they turn him around and he's just kind of making this weird somber face and it's supposed to be like you know his black blackest eyes the devil's eyes Mm -hmm. probably would have been a much better opening it could have been yeah this one (laughs) alternate opening multiple alternate endings and a reported sequel that uh, josh hartnett would reprise his role as laurie's son and seek revenge on michael Hmm. well that never came. No. Nope. Yet, at least, I guess. You never say never. Could come. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> and then, of course, we get more exposition where the insane guy gives us exposition from all the movies. Oh, yes. Harold. <laughs> I love Harold. He's just... Okay, so Harold is the guy who just randomly escapes from the sanitarium and they find him later on in the woods. This is apparently a normal thing for him. I don't know how they, I don't know why they keep letting him do it, but they keep finding him outside. But that's not the point. The point is, this guy's amazing because he literally just tells Michael his entire life story, Michael's mm-hmm. life story, back to him as he's walking away. And he comes in, he comes back. He never comes back in the story, in the story at all. This oh. is his only scene and he yes. never comes back. The, the DLC is over. The additional content is over. We're all caught up now, I guess. And now we're at Haddonfield University. The they pro- big enough to have a university? That town does not seem like it would be big enough to do that. No, they just didn't want to do high school, I guess, again. So they're like, let's Fair make enough. them college kids and we'll get them like scholarships and all that fun stuff. I don't, I don't know. The uh, And of course, the professor is conveniently talking about the shadow, the right. boogeyman in all of us. Oh, that's clever. I hate it when they do that, where they're like, oh, wow, that's such a connection. Right. And such I mean, subtext. they could use this later on in the story, and they kind of do. But it's one of those things where it's just like, it doesn't pay off. Uh, they're, oh, no. They're, they use it like once, maybe twice in the story. But it, it ultimately doesn't mean anything in the long, in the grand scheme of things. So, okay, I got to get your thoughts. How right. thrown off were you making the transition from be, from this point to the what we're going to get as the full-length movie. Were you assuming this was the first 10-15 minutes was kind of going to be the whole plot? And then yeah. were you like kind of shocked? I was quite, yeah, I was quite jarred um, <laughs> when we move from the sanitarium to Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Laurie Strode dying again to Haddonfield University. Mm-hmm. I was confused, to say the least, because I'm just like, okay, how did we end up here? This is one of those movies, and this is a constant thing that I'll bring up more and more. But the one thing I've noticed in this is that it just kind of does things and doesn't exactly give much of a reason why it needs to happen or 
it there there's no logical reason for things to happen. This is one of those. And so, yeah, I was quite confused um, when we went back to Haddonfield University and basically disregarded the entire opening that we had just gone through. The first 15 minutes is, for the most part, just dropped off the face of the earth. We don't really ever bring that up, except to know that Michael is coming back home. That's really the only reason why it's there. And we just get some very annoying characters that we got to hang out with for mostly the whole movie. Yeah. They're going to be bigger than the Osbournes. They're going to be investigative reporters. They're so excited. I got to say, Katie Sackhoff's character is super weird and annoying. Is that the blonde-haired girl? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what's with this freaky guy coming into their dorm, touching their underwear, being yeah. spooky, doing this little scene? Who stuff? is this? It's just like you just said. This movie does weird, random things, and then it's like, oh, that was a thing. Okay. I wrote down in my notes at this point when this guy came in and I was just like, I want a movie about this guy (laughs) because he literally, like you just said, comes out of absolute nowhere and says, don't do it. It touches anywhere and then walks out. He never comes back. I don't think. And that's it. It doesn't. Okay. I was thinking for a minute that it was one of the guys that uh, mess that flirts with whatever her name is, the blonde uh, Jen. Mm -mm. Um, Okay. Anyways, yeah, he never comes back. And it just feels like, okay, what was the point of that? It, I wonder if this was a, an idea that they had for the movie and then scrapped it later and then forgot to take out the edit. I don't know. Probably. But I think he's hilarious. Well, this movie is so early 2000s, it's not even funny. Oh, yeah. If it wasn't evident by the trailer alone, it is very early 2000s. And, okay. Dangertainment. Where do we where do we begin, listeners? Where where? Sh- I don't know what's funnier, the name of the company, Dangertainment, or the fact that when they ride up to the Strode household, literally it's a Dodge Caravan. Oh yeah, with a decal <laughs> on the window. It's a navy blue Dodge Caravan with just the Dangertainment logo on the side. It looks so janky. Oh man. Oh, it's uh, honestly. Dangertainment, and then that is just absolutely hilarious to me. It it's so it's so lazy. Oh, it is that it's funny. But also, I gotta say the camera work and even the acting is so lazy too. Oh, it, it oh, hurts yeah. some of this camera work. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, this is one of those things um, where it's clear that either they didn't know what they were doing or they really just didn't care. That's what I'm kind of what I'm getting out of this so far. Well, and we finally get some interaction here with Buster Rhymes, where I got to say, Buster Rhymes is probably my favorite part of this movie. At first, I found him to be kind of annoying, but later on in the movie, he becomes a complete character. Oh, yeah. And it is hilarious. I love how just tenderhearted and kind he is, Mm -hmm. and he's like, Sarah. It's okay to oh. live the American dream and he's famous. And in this scene, he's watching kung fu movies, and he's like, oh, crap, when the doorbell rings, yeah. he's like, oh, crap, and he shuts it off Chun-Li. really quick. And he, yeah, he talks to uh, the main chick. I can't, I can't remember her name. Uh, Sarah? Yeah, that's the one. Talks to Sarah, and then, he, and then he pats himself on the back. He's like, I'm good, and then walks back inside. Oh, yeah. He's so, he's so weird, 
And that's kind of the thing about this movie. There's a lot of weird characters. Like we just mentioned the guy who like just randomly walked into their room, the girls' room, and says don't do it. And then this guy, Freddy, that it almost feels like a cabin in the woods. And mm. parts of the movie feel like cabin in the woods to me because later on we find out that they're kind of controlling thing kind of controlling things from this room. Once again, with the uh, when when he comes out as Freddy, dressed up as him, and then later, and then I think early on actually, uh, when the two are in the basement, like in the cellar, mm-hmm. and then like part of the wall breaks down, and it turns out to be fake props. Oh, yeah. It parts of this feels like Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, I can see that. It's kind of they're kind of trapped in this house cabiny mm-hmm. area, and it's all being controlled to right. get a reaction out of them. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, Cabin in the Woods is way better though. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. See, that's the thing. That one knows it's bad, or that one knows that what it's making fun of right. is there's a reason why, because it's being overused. This one, it doesn't know that. Oh, no. It's not self-aware. It has no self-awareness. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think Busta Rhymes has any self-awareness either, because I think he, the way he's acting, he thinks this is good acting. This right. is good line delivery and... It's not, but honestly, I gotta say, I would love a show called Wisdom with Busta, where he just <laughs> spews and yes. spins his wisdom, because I love how all throughout this movie, he is always doing something like he's so wise, and he's yeah. just got some saying, especially towards the end when he likes to tell us about Michael. Yes. Uh, oh, that would be hilarious. Kind of like a Dr. Phil kind oh, of yeah. a thing. Oh, I would love oh, that. That would be hilarious. Oh. By the way. I noticed the sound mixing in this opening scene when, like, they get the contestants or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the sound mixing in this scene is terrible because <laughs> the music that's playing in the background oh. is just a little bit higher than the voice than the <laughs> voice is. of Buster Rhymes. Yeah. And so at times you're, yeah, at times it's kind of hard to make out what he's saying. But the music is so loud and it's so like okay-ish that it, it just makes this. It's just weird because the mixing is just terrible. Also, the editing is terrible. Yeah. Oh. Also, just oh. like from a storytelling standpoint, they will say things in this movie and then you're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? Kind mm-hmm. of like you said with that character who in an earlier draft probably was some type of character and then they forgot about right. it. <laughs> they, just, they forgot about it and happened through the editor like, oh, crap. <laughs> well, okay, there's this scene where Tyra Banks' character is saying how there was a firebird in front of the house and it was ruining their establishing shot, so she got it towed. In the theatrical cut, that doesn't make any sense. Because while I was watching it, I was like, well, who cares? What does this have to do with anything? Yeah. But in a deleted scene, we see Michael, after he leaves the sanitarium, he walks in the woods and he finds these teenagers in a tent having sex that doesn't show anything. Right. And he steals their firebird. Hmm. drives it all the way back to Haddonfield, back to his house, and that's how the Firebird comes into play. Gotcha. That's well, that... just one one instance of editing where it just doesn't make any sense. And I right. will say, also, the other one is um, Tyra Banks just disappears. Yeah. Where did she go? <laughs> she just stops showing up in this movie. And then we find her later, and she apparently died somehow from Michael. Did we see it? No. Because the movie just completely forgot about her. I was so lost. I was like, I was, t- I was very lost at that point. I was like, wait, did we? Uh, am I missing something? Yeah, because I was just like, okay, well, because I was putting the pieces together right before it showed the scene where her death is at, and I was just like, okay, well, if she's watching this, then she would 
maybe call the police or something. <laughs> or with Deckard and his crew, maybe and he at one point he actually wanted to call the police, but then they his friends said don't do it. Um you would think that she was watching over the whole thing and then come to find out no, she's actually dead? Okay. Why wasn't that shown to us? It's another thing that was cut, most likely. Uh, I can guarantee that. Okay, and let's talk about the first kill, aside from Lori. Why does the tripod have a spike on it? Well, okay. Uh, there are some tripods that do have pointed ends. Okay. Um, when you're outside, out in a field, mm-hmm. you may want to use those pointed ends to ground it. That makes sense. Um, however, I don't think I've ever seen, although I wouldn't doubt that they exist, a tripod like this. Um, so... I could see that they would be used, yes, for a uh, killing device. <laughs> However, in this instance, you would, I would, you would more likely use rubber feet since it's on cement, because it would slide around if it's on those, if it's on the metal feet. But that's just what I would think. So yeah, those do exist, but the reason why they're in this movie makes no sense at all. Right, and this movie kind of draws the line between Michael. Partly using the butcher knife, but also using more, quote, creative kills with different uh, things in his environment. Right. For I, whatever reason. Right. I'll commend them for doing this, that using, thing, like I said, like you just said, things around them to kill. But at the same time, make it make sense. Because even then, he, even then, even, okay, even if, yes, they were, for whatever reason, they used that for a good reason. They used the spiked feet for a good reason. Michael aims the camera down, so it's pace, it's facing down the feet or the legs of the tripod, so you can clearly see what's happening, when in reality, I would assume that he would just pick it up and then just go for it. Well, it's, so, it's such a slow scene because it's intercut with Tyra Banks on the phone making yes. a latte. This guy's a complete idiot who can't even run. He just stands there against the wall. It's terrible. It's really giving you a treat of what you're in for right. of... Slow kills. And this guy never comes back. Like, we never see him again after this. He is disposed of somewhere? Yeah, you would assume that they would find his body somewhere later in the movie, but they don't. Yeah. This is one of those things where just something happens, and it makes no sense at all, and has nothing to do with anything. I think the entire premise is stupid, because these teens are so stupid to think they would find clues to his past, when clearly a police investigation done, I don't even know, 40 years ago would have found something. Yeah, at (sighs) least something. And it... Now, to be fair, this is all for entertainment, we find out from Freddy. Uh, He dresses up as Michael at one point. And tries to do tries to more or less manipulate what's happening. So from that point of view, I can see it why they do this because the ratings are low, which he does mention in the movie. But yes, at the same time, someone with half a brain would know. Hey, wait a minute! <laughs> wouldn't a police investigation have found more clues than a bunch of teenage, a bunch of college students going in? Well, the house would have also been condemned at this point. Oh, yeah. There's no way they would let them go into that kind of structure that's been sitting vacant for nearly half a century. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even if... I don't even think you could get clearance if it is condemned, oh, no. for especially for a house like this, where there's clearly some history. It would also be a health hazard with asbestos mm-hmm. and mold, and it's just all around super, super unbelievable. So, as you can tell, this is a airtight plot. Oh, 
No, <laughs> no cracks at all. No. no plot holes. This is the tightest plot I've ever seen. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, but I got to know what you were thinking when we do start to find clues, quote unquote, with chains on a baby chair and mm-hmm. chains in the basement. Were you thinking they were retconning the entire series and trying to show that Michael had this twisted upbringing and his parents made him into this murder or were you onto it already? I was kind of, I kind of figured that because of how Michael had been acting, they did this. But then I began thinking about it. I'm just like, well, no wonder he turned this way if this is the way that they're treating their child, you know? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's because of there's basically catacombs underneath this house that go on for quite a long time. Oh. It began to it began to feel the, okay. This is just silly at this point. It's because these catacombs turn into Michael's room apparently. Right. Who who knows? Uh, so what are these teenagers supposed to eat? That's They're, a great question. It just there's so many things where it's like. How long are they supposed to be in there? They're like, nobody gets out. Right. Is it going to be in there 24 hours without food or something? Speaking of eating, they do go in the kitchen at one point. Oh, yeah. And they find the spices and uh, what's his name? It's Rudy. Rudy, yeah. Rudy, mm-hmm. the uh, the cook, which, okay. I was about to say it doesn't come back at all. It does come back in one scene when he dies, which is hysterical. Yeah, he throws the spice in his Yes. <laughs> but... Uh, I bring this scene up. Be- I bring this scene up because he looks at the spices and says, "Hey, wait a minute! Now these are supposed to smell- these aren't supposed to smell like this. These smell fresh." And of course, we're led to believe that maybe Michael was living here, and comes up. We come to find out that yes, he kind of actually was. But then that also begs the question: Okay, well, what does Michael eat? Because yeah, obviously he has spices, so he does something. But nowhere <laughs> else in the house is there food anywhere else. Sautés is uh, rats. Yeah, maybe. I I honestly thought maybe Busta was cooking in there with Tyra, <laughs> and they left their spices in there. It's a really odd thing to give them away. Yeah. It, 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 I, my guess is it was a character detail that they added in to make this to move the story along. I don't think Rudy was set up to be a uh, a cook at all, but ended up being that way because they had to get. They had to show that Michael was living there, and that was the only way is to say, hey, well, this guy, he knows culinary arts. Therefore, it doesn't make any sense. It's really silly, and it's quite stupid, but that's kind of what I'm seeing, is that it was just a creative a creative decision to do that, uh, to hit home that someone has been living here. But where the movie really gives away how paper-thin this plot is, is how much we spend with codename Deckard at the high school party. Yeah. It's just a bunch of high schoolers watching him and it really only plays into the very end. And even then it's really it really doesn't pay off. Oh no. No, yeah. The This is one yeah, this is one of those things where it things just happen and there's really no reason for it and up until one at least some point and it just doesn't pay off. I think I mentioned this earlier with this guy. Um yeah. There's no reason for him to be here. He is really only there. I actually can't even don't even know why, other than the fact that he he, ha, he helps in the end. 
They they are IM buddies. Right. He helps her with her college papers, even though he's a freshman in high school. Right. And he's lied to her. He said he's in graduate school. Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and say it now. One of the alternate endings, which is probably my favorite one, he, uh, Deckard, runs down to the house and finds the garage on fire and pulls Sarah out of the garage. Gotcha. And they kind of have a nice moment together. And then, like, the original Halloween music comes back. She says something like, He's like, well, you you killed him or something. And she's like, can you ever kill the boogeyman? And then it's like, dun, 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 dun. Right. And then, like, slowly pans out and that's it. Well, what movie was that? <laughs> I don't know why they cut that out. Because it would have tied the story much, the two yeah. parallel storylines much closer together. But they, they I don't know. They, right. they make all kinds of terrible choices. Yeah. There's hardly a reason. I would even go as far as to say there's really no reason for... Deckard to be here. No, not a, not if they're not going to bring him in like they did in the very end. Right. And I mean, okay, I understand that they're trying to show, or maybe they did it inadvertently, but they do show that technology is a good thing because without this, I guess it's a Palm Pilot? Um, uh-huh, yeah. It's something that has IM. Uh, she's able, that with this, he's able to talk to her and say, and tell her where he's at and things like that. So she's able to evade Michael right. to, a, to a certain point. So from that aspect, okay, if they're showing that, you know, technology is a good thing here, um, I understand that, and that's totally fine. But this is a Halloween movie, and whoever thought that mixing modern-day technology with uh, Halloween, um, I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's quite a bad idea, actually. Well, and that's just it. It's one of those very prominently noticeable early 2000s movies where they're oh my gosh, look at this technology. Mm-hmm. We can weave it into the plot. And basically the technology becomes the plot and yeah. everything else, you know, yeah. put that aside. Right. Once, yeah, once this scene hits, the once the climax hits, basically yeah, technology has become the plot at this point. Um, it's... I mean, okay, this movie is obviously dated because we don't have these things as much anymore. We have a variation of it, but not to this effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it is... I guess I can understand why this college student has one of these for planning purposes, but it is here and it is really stupid. Oh, I also should say, um, cause they've never met before in the alternate ending. She's mm-hmm. like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Deckard. And he's like, well, my name's really miles. He's like, I'm not really Deckard. He's the hero of Blade Runner. And I, was I like, figured that was the reason why this name was there. I don't know. Whoever wrote this probably loved Blade Runner, and they're like, let's let's put Blade Runner in this Yeah. Movie. I was honestly wondering if that was the reason why his name was Deckard, and I guess that makes sense to me now. And throughout this movie, we don't care about any of these characters at mm-hmm. all. I don't care about any of them. I well, don't even I would, care about Sarah. I would even go as far as to say that we spend so much time with every other character that the main character becomes lost. Yeah, but they're entirely one-dimensional. Oh, yeah. We have the token black guy, Mm -hmm. the cool dude, the perv, the shy girl, the mysterious sleazy girl, and the dipsy girl. I mean, these are all just so cookie-cutter characters that have zero depth to them. And Sarah is supposed to be the shy, innocent one. We don't know anything about her. We don't know anything about any of them. Right, and (laughs) I think it's led is meant for us to think that she's the virgin in the story sure um, yes. this is per typical to a slash movie like this because at one point when they go to get like basically they go to get their uh what they're gonna wear during this whole thing 
Uh, she comes up with this nice, uh, this like pink tank top, and she goes, "Is this too revealing?" No. Oh. <laughs> From then, I was just like, "Okay, so she's probably the virgin in the story." Yeah. Exactly what uh, Cabin in the Woods is making fun of. Anyways, I will give the movie a little bit of credit because I do think there are a few creepy shots in this movie, such as when Rudy opens up the door. Shines his flashlight in, but he looks the other way, and we see Michael just standing there, and we mm-hmm. kind of see a blurry outline of him. And then also when Michael's walking through the dark tunnel under the house. Right. I think it highlights, like, or shadows the mask, not highlights it. Right. Shadows the mask fairly well. Those are really the only compliments I can give to the pretty much the entire movie, mm-hmm. and especially the cinematography. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's, this, this honestly just doesn't, this feels so un-Halloween to me almost as much as 3 does. Because they're the way that they go about it, for one, Laurie Strode is dead. But okay, we've had movies where she's been gone out of the picture anyways. But my thing is, is that it doesn't build to the same intensity or doesn't build the same tone as almost every movie before it. It feels very lighthearted especially in moments. And there are other moments where it's quite gruesome, more like Halloween is. But because of the way that they do this tone and this structure, it feels weird. It doesn't feel like it was trying to be a Halloween movie. It felt like they were. it was a different movie in a creepy house and they put and they slapped the Halloween title on it. Because instead of, instead of more cinematic shots, we also intercut between the head cams and the security cameras. Mm-hmm. Yep. Obviously, this is a stylistic choice. It kind of feels more like a paranormal paranormal activity kind of style than it does a Halloween style. Now, this could work because those shots are very cla- make it very claustrophobic, but they don't utilize that mm-hmm. like at all. It just kind of feels like a, it's just there. For, I guess for cost purposes, maybe. I know the Blair Witch hadn't it hadn't been too long since it had been yeah out. Bl- Blair Witch came out in ninety nine but the Blair Witch knows how to build atmosphere whereas this one there is no atmosphere yeah it's all goofy and silly and like you said they don't know how to use if they're going to use all those different types of cameras they don't know how to use them yeah they don't utilize it like they should have and they missed an opportunity where. Uh, potentially they could show that Halloween can mix with a different genre, which would be, I guess, considered found footage at this point, which up until now had really not been popularized yet. Uh, Blair Witch Project would be the only one that really started this trend of found footage horror films. But this is not exactly like that. It's a bit different. I do think it's hilarious how uh, Freddy Buster Rhymes character admits when he's like, whoa, 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 shut your cameras off. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nobody's going to watch this show. And he's like, that's why I have to create weird situations to scare everyone. And I was like, you're right. Nobody would watch this. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and the kids think all the deaths are digital effects. Right. Cool digital effects. Wow. Her head got sliced off with one swipe. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's... I just find it funny how there's a switch that they can just turn it off. Um, this happens later. Is it later? It may have been before. doesn't matter. The redhead and the cool guy have got to have some fun downstairs. Oh. And instead of turning off the cameras like we are shown that they can at one point, they just take them off. 
obviously this goes to show that something happens down there. Part of the wall breaks open uh, and things like that. That's the only reason why they're still on. But it's clear that they can turn them off. Yes. It, it's, one of those th- it's one of those inconsistent things. Well, I got to say my favorite part of the movie is when Buster Rhymes fights Michael with the karate. And he yes. says, so you want to be on Dangertainment? And he roundhouse kicks him. And I'm like, yes. How has the series fallen so low? Yes. It, that is one of the best parts of the movie. And he makes those sounds. So he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then he kicks him right out the window. Oh, it's th- this and then the Rudy scene when he's in the kitchen are some of the greatest <laughs> scenes ever yes. in this franchise. Because they are insanely over the top for a series that's meant to be quite serious. It doesn't fit at all. It doesn't fit at all. Oh, gosh. And then we get when Sarah hides in the garage and pulls out her chainsaw. Yeah. And says, this is for Jim. This is for Rudy. For all of them. And, yeah, it's <laughs> it's so silly. That, that line delivery was honestly quite bad. <laughs> oh, it was. It was horribly bad. And Oof. somehow she puts the chainsaw on his chest. Mm-hmm. Completely fine. Yeah. Not a problem at all. Ah. O- obviously, it's a fake chainsaw. Obviously. Duh. But she basically does nothing to him when she actually does hit him a couple of times and she doesn't do a very good job at that she kind of just like lightly taps him with it like it just like rips apart rips a hole in his shirt oh and just how everything in this movie is how everybody dies is so ridiculous Mm -hmm. michael knows how to bust through a mirror somehow like a two-way mirror i guess i don't know uh what, what was the other one that i was going to bring up that was just oh when rudy does die in the kitchen he gets yes. stabbed in, like, the trapezius. Like, that's not going to kill you. Right. <sighs> well, he, he stabbed, like, what, three times? Three or four times? I know he has at least two knives. And then Michael grabs the other knife, the bigger one, out of the cupboard. So I think, yeah, I think three times he stabs him to the door and then opens and then opens up the door and walks through it. Oh, that scene, though, was really funny because he does take the spices and throw it in his eyes. Yeah. And he basically schools Michael on... Culinary arts. It's just everything has to be really wild, really yeah. over the top. When people get kicked or punched, they go flying mm-hmm. and slam into things. It's very cartoonish. And yeah. I just love during the fire towards the end where uh, Buster Rhymes just fireman carries Sarah out of yep. there. Like she, what? Yep. And he says, hey, Mikey, happy Halloween. Oh, no, this, I would say that some of the best dialogue is at the various, like, climax here from Buster Rhymes because it is just so funny. Because he says the F word probably, like, what, six, eight times? Yeah. He... It, it is just so funny because it is just so over the top. <laughs> and, okay, speaking of him, one of my favorite scenes, once again, is when he's, like, he's dressed up as Michael and he walks into, I guess it would be, I don't really know exactly where it's at in the house, but. Yeah, he, just... but the, the real Michael is behind him. And he turns around and he thinks that it's whatever her name is. And he's like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. You're going to scare him? You know, all What are stuff. you, stupid? Is your head not working? Exactly. Is your noggin busted? And just, Michael is just standing there just looking at him. And he's just screaming it. at him. And then Michael turns around <laughs> and, and walks away. He just has this diatribe for like three minutes. I'm yes. Like, oh, you stupid. Bleep, 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 bleep. Yeah. Oh. That was, oh, okay. Crazy. When I watched that, I was just like, this is the greatest thing. How in the world did somebody come up with this? Because Michael Myers, usually when he's next to somebody, they're most likely dead, you know. 
And especially with this character, Buster Rhymes, I was assuming that this was it for him. This was the scene where he's going to die. No, he tells Michael to get out of here, uh, assuming that it's somebody else, and Michael listens and actually walks away. That I found to be very funny, because it's so unlike Michael. It's like he was being yelled at from a parent and, like, turned around and hung his head and walked down the hallway. It was so funny. Oh, and speaking of funny, so once uh, Deckard saves the day, he high-fives and hugs his high school friends. And they're like, thank you, Deckard, you saved my life. And they're like, yay! And they're clapping him on the back. It made me think of that scene from Birdemic when they're like, we just sold our company yes! for $10 million. And they just clap for him. And they're just like, yes, we yes. did. It's like, a, it's like a 45-second like, <laughs> take of all of them clapping. Yes. It just was so goofy. I'm like, this is how goofy this movie is, where when they save the day, they have to high-five. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, when the first guy comes in that office, did you notice that over the dub that they changed from the original line? No. So, I don't exactly know what the original line was. Okay. But the line is, what are you doing here, you perv? But oh. the word perv wasn't the original line, it was something else. And you can clearly see that his mouth moves a different way than saying the word perp. It's mm. something completely different. I noticed that and I rewound it and I was like, that's, wow. Uh, <laughs> somebody didn't do a very good job at that. They didn't reshoot that scene for some reason. That's strange. Yeah. Okay, so what do you think of when Michael goes to the coroner and then his eyes flash open in a classic 2000 style? <gasps> well, it was inevitable at this point. Yeah. Because we've seen Michael shot, burned, decapitated, technically speaking and buried and none of those have done anything to him and so assuming that we would believe that he's dead from being electrocuted and then burned no i knew for a fact in fact i was i told myself i would be surprised if he did actually die because mm. of this because yeah. of everything else that we've seen so yeah obviously they're opening up opening this up for a sequel and i think that jamie Lee curtis said that she would only do it if i think Michael died or something like that? Or this was... They wouldn't leave it open for a sequel. And so then they told her, yeah, okay, sure. And then they totally did that. Because I think that they were under contractual obligation to show that Michael doesn't exactly die. Mm. Um, they couldn't show him actually dying. That They wanted to leave it open for whatever reason. Yeah. Anyways, there are a couple alternate endings that I should yeah. mention. These quick. I want to hear. So the first one is... When they open the body bag, not at the coroner's office, but right there next to the fire truck outside the building, Michael wakes up and just grabs Buster Rhymes' neck and starts choking him. And Sarah takes an axe from the fire truck and just lands it right in his face. Okay. Right, it just shows it like right in his head. Yeah. And then Busta says some weird stuff after that. So that's the first. And then the movie's literally over. Okay. And then the second ending is like a CSI agents come and they start looking around in the whole house and they open up this tunnel or something and you just see this like hand pop up and grab the lady and that's the end. Hmm. It's not very good. That's kind of silly. And then of course my my favorite ending is when Deck, like I already mentioned earlier, Deckard runs to the house, saves Sarah from the burning garage. They exchange some cute words. Uh, he says, you know, my real name is Miles Barton. Decker is the hero of Blade Runner. Uh, we also see Buster Rhyme is in a neck brace. And she, he, Freddie says sorry, and she gives him a kiss on the head. And someone said if it weren't for Miles, she wouldn't have survived the fire. 
Miles says, you did it. You killed the boogeyman. Sarah says, you can't kill the boogeyman. And then the original Halloween theme starts playing. Right. That's my favorite ending. That's the one that yeah, kind of Yeah, I think that one definitely works the best than what we, especially what we got. This one just kind of feels like, well, of course. Right. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Halloween Resurrection? There are pieces of this movie that are absolutely hysterical. I'm just going to read a couple of quotes because I think they're hilarious. <laughs> uh, why are you touching me? Don't. Go poke. Or cameras are so phallic. Is that good or bad? Depends on who's watching. There are so many lines in this that are silly. There are so many things that happen in this movie that are very silly. Uh, this is one of those movies where, once again, um, we just kind of end up places with really no reason um, this, yeah, I think you mentioned this, the editing of this movie just from a filmmaking standpoint is terrible. Uh, I think a good example of that is would have been with Harold because they find him outside and then literally in the next scene, they're like, what's he not doing in his room? Why is he in the basement? And it, of course it's Michael Myers. Uh, it, there's really no coherency to this plot because it is, this is so un Halloween that it is almost as bad as three. And... I mean, I guess everything else we've said kind of just paints it, it kind of just says that, yeah, this is not a good movie. Not by a long shot. But I guess the bigger, the best, the bigger question for me is, is it so bad that it's good? And I'm going to have to say yes, but only with the context of H2O and the original Halloween. Because if you watch this on its own, it's going to be even more confusing and it may take from some of the enjoyment. But seeing the original and how good it was and seeing H2O and how far it's kind of come and having the context leading into this one, it would help a lot knowing that and then seeing and laughing along with it uh, for doing whatever it does. That being said, no, this is not a recommend. Actually, it's not a recommend if you haven't seen what I just said. But if you have, then I would absolutely suggest it because it is quite a fun movie to watch with a bunch of friends and just kind of have some fun with it. So, yeah, 1 out of 10. Uh, solid, not recommend for those who haven't seen it, but recommend for those who have. Halloween Resurrection is probably the worst sequel ever made. H2O was a solid little film that gave a satisfying, albeit an unnecessary conclusion, to the Michael Laurie storyline. This piece of trash gives us another Michael Laurie conclusion, then switches gears to an entirely different movie about six dim-witted college students and how they goof around in Michael's house until they're all murdered. Oh, and don't forget we get the wisdom of Buster Rhymes all along the way. This movie is trying to cash in on the new age of internet with the producers to believe the next stage of horror in Y2K. Rosenthal, along with his DP, create a few effective shots thanks to lighting, but that's really the only compliment I can afford this movie. And for that reason, I can't give it one star, so I'll give it two. I still believe Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, theatrical cut to be the worst installment in the franchise so far, because that plot is completely nonsensical, whereas this story has direction, even though it has an extremely rocky first act. Like I already said, I'm giving this scum piece of cinema, Halloween Resurrection, two stars out of ten with a major not recommend. <laughs> Ooh. So I guess the question for me is, is this worse than three or better than three? And I'm going to have to say that 
Three is just a hair worse, but only because it doesn't have Michael Myers in it. If it did, somehow, then it'd be a harder comparison to make. Okay, so where does it land with comparison to Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers? Because I gave that a one out of ten. I will say this. Right. I'll say this. I had more fun watching this one than I did with Halloween 4, the theatrical cut. So, I'll put it above 4. You mean 6? Yeah, 6. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. I'll put it above that as as an enjoyment factor, it is better than that. But as a filmmaking factor, it is about as bad. So, I would say probably before before 4. That's something I'm kind of wrestling with right now is where does this land on my ranking and I'm going to wait until we have watched all of the released Halloween movies to give my final ranking because I'm kind of thinking I had a I had more fun with this than I did with 5 and 6. I do think 4 is better because it's still a coherent linear story that does have nice tie backs and callbacks to the original but this one is so fun it's just so bad it's oh yeah so much of this horrible horrible dialogue and acting it's pretty fun but uh that's something i'm gonna have to think about i do think four is better and i probably would watch four before i watch this but i would watch this before i watched five and six yeah i if this if we were judging purely on enjoyment factor, this would be up there with one. <laughs> but for solely different reasons. Uh, but if we're doing it from filmmaking standards, yeah, it would be very low on that list. Very low. Well, thank you listeners for joining us in our Halloween Resurrection Review, the eighth installment in our Halloween retrospective series. We will be coming back next month to review the entirely rebooted Halloween. That's just what it's called. It's kind of a prequel. It's kind of a reimagining. It's a remake. It's a reboot. It's like all of them, all in one. Rob Zombie came back and did that. And he also did the sequel. We'll be doing that in two months. And then the month after that, we'll be ready for, well, Halloween, that's what it's also called. (laughs) So we've had, what, three movies now named Halloween, all of the exact same franchise, but very different movies? Yes. That's quite quite funny. (laughs) It's quite a history. We do have the entire canon timeline explanation over on Silver Screen Guide. Whether you want to listen to that on the podcast or you could listen to it over on YouTube, go ahead and check those out so you're not confused because this is one of the most... Probably the most confusing series ever. Right. So once again, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to like and subscribe. Share it with your friends. Also, if you want some more great exclusive bonus content, head on over to our Patreon page where for just the price of a cup of coffee, you get a lot of great content. Uh, So go ahead and head on over there. You can find that link in the description below. And, of course, follow us on Facebook and Twitter so you can always get up to date. And, of course, if you like email like I do, then you can subscribe through emails as well just by going to our website, silverscreenguide.wordpress.com. Once again, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us. We hope you had fun just as we did, and we will catch you next time.